This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to the 10th episode of Analyzing Anfield. I'm your host as always, Christian Walsh, and with me is Josh Williams. If you're not really very uh, familiar with what we do here, we talk about all the tactics, all the statistics, and all that kind of stuff around Liverpool Football Club. This is part of your Blood Red channel. Uh, and I think Josh is probably the first one we've we've done after the defeat. Yeah. It's a bit uh, of a rarity, this. It's a weird feeling, isn't it, yeah? Uh, Liverpool's last defeat, I think, was... January? Oh, Wolves. Um, Wolves, yeah. So Wolves. Yeah. Wolves. Wow. Um, we're now on uh, the start of May. Um, and we'll talk about Barcelona in a little bit. Um, we'll talk a lot about Barcelona, to be honest. But just before we, we, we move on to what happened over in uh, Catalonia on uh, Wednesday night, uh, just to touch upon briefly some positivity. Um, Liverpool did actually play on Friday night as well. We hadn't recorded the podcast um, before that game. So Liverpool 5, Huddersfield 0. It feels like a lifetime ago. Um, it was seven days ago, but it feels like a lot more. So let's not talk too much about the actual game. I think we said on the previous episode, you know, what it's, it's Huddersfield um, that's no disrespect to them but you know what can you actually say about them when they've already gone down um, but I just want to pick up on two themes really um, and they, you know both of these will weave into what we talk about later on in the show um, first of all Josh Naby Keita um, he's now out for the season I mean there's not much of the season left but he's out he also missed the uh, African Cup of Nations and, uh, over the summer um, but 15 seconds in, you know, it's the sort of goal we expect under Klopp and from Keita himself, I think. And it's such a shame about the injury, isn't it? I feel it like is, he was it, just getting right, right, right at the right time. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's had a, he's had an up and down season, hasn't he? He's been um, in and out, and when when he has showed flashes of brilliance and, and promise, he's took some sort of knock. Whether that be being left out for a couple of weeks for no particular reason, whether that be an injury, you know, stuff like that. So it's sad to see, but that that initial goal that he scored was the kind of thing we signed him for, really, because of how good he is on the front foot. And it was the kind of kind of action that has made me think all season that he would have suited our style more last season. Last last season we were a bit more chaotic. This season we're a bit more of a controlling side. But I think he thrives in that chaos, and I think when when you instruct him to be proactive without the ball and aggressive and effectively chase people, that's 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 what he's very good at. Uh, and we saw that. I, 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 I'm, I wouldn't doubt whether it was um, pre-organized that that mm. press because he's so alert and so on his toes to that movement. That it was machine-like, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, it looked like a training drill. Mm. Um, so if it was, that's credit to our analysts at the club. Um, but yeah, it was a great way to kick off the match and the match did end up going exactly how we predicted. I think Huddersfield showed that they were well drilled, um, well organised side. But, you know, we did we did say last week that ultimately when the, when the player quality gap is that big, you know, all the endeavour and all the tactics can't make up to, to that extent. It was just too much of a gap and um, I, think we, I think we saw it. Just another little thing that we uh, noticed as well. I, I thought it's just worth bringing up here. Um, Sadio Mane, I haven't seen a player. I don't think he's. I think he's deceptively. He, he's not as small as he uh, as he as he looks. I think he, you, you think he's small because he's actually quite slight. But 
I don't, I, I don't think he's actually that small, but you know, certainly for a, a man of his size, he, he gets a lot of goals with his head. Um, that was his. Well, those two against um, against Huddersfield were his fifth uh, with his head. So he scored five with his head. Uh, Liverpool are the league leaders in header goals with sixteen, um, and he's actually only behind two. Uh, he's only one goal behind the two leaders across the league in terms of header goals scored. Can you guess who they are, Josh? I know who they are. Oh, have you, have you, is I, that because you've looked into it? Oh, I no. had to look into it in, in regard to <laughs> Europe, though. I had to look at oh, Europe. Uh, only eight players in Europe's top five leagues have scored five or more with the head. Mm. I know the two from the Prem. Two from uh, the Prem, Mitrovic and Chris Wood. Yeah. Unfortunately, Chris Wood didn't do it against City. Uh, you've also got Lewandowski in there. Got Benzema in there. And a man who appeared on this show a couple of weeks ago in a weird message, I can't remember what it was, but Christian Stuani. Oh, yes, in there. Yeah. I can't remember what he appeared in, but it was a weird, strange message that he appeared in. Um, and a couple of other players that, you know, are a bit more obscure, but yeah, it's, it, I think it stems from how athletic he is. I think mm-hmm. he's he's got an absolute ton of, of I don't know, the, the explosiveness to him. Mm-hmm. Manic. He's alert. I always think of that goal that he scored against uh, Everton last minute uh, at yeah. Goodison. I mean, very, very few players there have got the, as you say, that explosiveness from two yards to sort of burst onto the loose ball and, and, and tap it in. Yeah, yeah. Just the way you, the way you can um, leap higher than most players and, you know, his neck muscles and things like that, that that's a skill and um, he certainly showcased it this season. Okay, so we'll park Huddersfield then. And I, I know we, we probably all want to spend all episode on, on a five-star show and like that, but uh, sadly, we're going to have to have a little look at Barcelona and, um, you know, what happens. So, of course, last week we uh, we spoke at length about how Liverpool don't concede to goals outside the box, Josh. Um, that, that one went well. We'll talk about Messi, that free kick, etc. in a short while. Let's look at Liverpool first and foremost. Uh, team use drops. Gina Van Alden up front, what was your initial reaction? My initial reaction was that he wasn't going to be up front. Uh, I didn't think that would be the case. I knew it would be a 4-3-3. A lot of people on, on Twitter and things were talking about four, four, uh, with diamonds, diamonds yeah. and, you know, 4-4-2 and system like that. And it's, it's Klopp. It's away in Europe against the top side. It's 4-3-3 without doubt. I, I had no doubt there. But what I did think could be the case would be why not um, Naby as the nine haven't thought about it more it did probably it was probably obvious that Wijnaldum was Wijnaldum was going to play there given his versatility and the time he spent in the system you know understand he should understand every role by now and stuff like that and Naby's a bit bit more reckless a bit more raw as well Uh but at the time, it's, I didn't overly expect it simply because he's he's not really like Firmino in many ways. He's he's similar to him in terms of they're both good defensively and they're both versatile, uh, but not a lot else. So I was I must admit when it started, I was quite surprised and I, I didn't initially think it would go too well. Um, and I think it's safe to say it didn't really. I thought first ten minutes maybe Barcelona. He took it took them by surprise, and I think it took them a while to adjust. But once they did, I think yes, I think you know I I don't think it was a it was a failed experiment. I, I think um, 
I think it's, you know, it's worth putting an asterisk against anything that we say or personally when, you know, I'm talking about Wijnaldum against Barcelona. I don't think it's his fault. He's not a centre forward. Um, he's just having to make do with with what he's, you know, Klopp's, Klopp's had that dilemma where Roberto Firmino isn't being fully fit to start. So what does he do? He's turned to Wijnaldum. You know, Wijnaldum has now played centre-back for Liverpool and he's played up front. It's, it's, it's a remarkable sort of... Uh, career, it's a career arc. Um, you know, you might go in goal at one point, but you know, you just look at the, you just look at the, the, the no shots. He's centre forward, no shots, twenty three passes, um, and not a great um, accuracy as well. To be honest, I just had a look at Firmino versus City in January, and again, this is not to say Firmino is better than Wijnaldum. We know Firmino is a better centre forward than Wijnaldum. Like that's goes without saying. So, you know, it's no criticism of, of the Dutchman at all. Um, and the reason I picked the City game in January is because the, the possession was largely the same. Um, Liverpool had 51% against City, 52% against Barcelona. Uh, very similar situations where you know you're going away to an elite side as well. Uh, for me, you know, two shots, two shots on target, one goal, two dribbles, 31 passes. Um, and even when he came on against Barcelona on Wednesday night, he had one cleared off the line, which would eventually lead to the chance where Salah hit the post. So. It, it, I suppose it's twofold. This isn't it, Josh, in the, in in the sense of, you know, number one, what a miss Firmino is when he isn't playing in these type of games in particular, and number two, just how you know f- for all the, the the theory around it might have been, you know, strong enough. You know, Gini Wijnaldum just can't surely be playing up front in a Champions League semi final at Barcelona. No, he, he shouldn't really have been playing there. Um... When you look at it as well, like Firmino is not strictly a striker and he's not strictly like a, a centre forward really either. He's a false nine, which is slight, slightly different. It does it does involve vacating from the striking role to deeper areas, which then allows Salah and Mane to, to exploit those spaces that he's hopefully opened up. Um, so it wasn't the biggest concern that Genie maybe wouldn't have shots or, I mean, Firmino having two against... Cities that that that's a fair stat that, but I don't think he has in general. I don't think he has the most pain ninety. I have to check that one. Uh, but I think a lot of it is to do with just making the right movements, um, linking up with the players around you very quickly, being very very good on your first touch. For me, no, the amount of layoffs for me no does with his first touch, just to almost knock the ball into the path of Sally, things like that. So you just got to link the play. You've got to be a creator. You've got to be progressive. We know, and we've spoken about Wijnaldum on this show, that he's not those things. He offers safety, in my opinion. He offers caution. He offers protection. Good defensively. Good tactically, I'd expect. Um, Good in terms of his personality, I'd expect as well. But in terms of offensive play, you know, creation, um, playing forwards, taking risks he's not that and that's what you've got to be if you're if you're being Firmino that's that's what Firmino does Firmino's I've said before on the show Firmino's the glue for me and if you haven't got that glue nothing sticks um I think we did I think we we played extremely well with that considering one of our key players and a player that's so important to the genetics of how we play was absent. Um, 
And I think it's worth saying as well, one thing I'd like to definitely point out is I think the general narrative seems to follow and it's it's natural that it will follow, you know, the results shape the narrative kind of mm. thing and Liverpool lost 3-0, what went wrong? But to a, to a large extent, nothing much went wrong in terms of what Liverpool did. Liverpool did a lot right Um they, on seventy five minutes, they, they, you go and if they lose, if they lose that one nil, you go and that is a fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Result. I think we, we we played out of our skin. I think we caused them all kinds of problems. Uh, they didn't enjoy playing against us. They, from it seemed, they seemed to just accept the inferior role. They seemed to accept the inferior role at the new camp in a Champions League semi final. It's it's a rare thing. So. You know, although we lost the game and it was a heavy defeat on paper, it's not always a case of, you know, what went wrong. But I think one one aspect that we did that definitely didn't work, it's safe to say, is is the wine album, the wine album move. I mean, could they have done anything differently? I mean, because I mean, it's easy to say after the fact, and I, you know, I'm not saying that we are, but it's easy to go, well, he got that one wrong. But I mean, was it Origi? Was it storage? Was it money through the middle with? Cater wide left. I mean, how, how you know? Yeah. A, there's there's a tap bit of hindsight here, but you know what 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 could have maybe helped in that sense? Yeah, well, I have, I have thought about it since, and there wasn't a great deal he could do. To be honest, you can't play Milner there, you can't play Henderson there, you can't play Fabinho there. Um, Ox obviously is not at that level yet. Um, and. I don't know, with Origi, I don't think he's... It's a big call to play to Vakarigi at the new Camp. Yeah. Probably, cl- maybe even more so, as you'd say, about systems and, and, and knowledge. You know, when yeah. Adam's played in this team a lot. Yeah, and Klopp's, Klopp's come out and said today we needed a player in there who was tactically good and offered a lot defensively, because obviously you're away at the new Camp here. Mm. Um, you know, Origi's got... I don't know, Origi's, I don't think he's at that level whereby mm. you could start him in the Champions League semi-final at the new Camp. He he offers a good degree of help in certain situations, and he's useful. But that would have been a risk, and I think to to an extent, this is one thing I've noticed about Pochettino this season. In in the big games against the big teams, you almost just field all your best players. Mm. It's kind of as simple as that, regardless of fitness. Um, to an extent, obviously. And regardless of formations, you just play all your best players because at that level, it just comes into it a bit more. Uh, and that's kind of what Klopp did. But I would have been interested to see how it played out if if Naby and Wijnaldum swapped places. Because obviously Naby's got that, you know, that aggressive nature to his game. Obviously likes closing down. I think he would have caused the likes of Busquets problems. Um, but, you know, I just said hindsight. And but you know Cater, so we'll, we'll we'll talk about Cater a little bit more. Um, and I suppose you know that was another thing that went wrong. It's easy to forget now in the you know out of Liverpool's hands in terms of things going wrong. You know they've already not been able to start for me, you know, because of an injury. Um, and then yeah, there's Naby Cater, um, you know, twenty or so minutes into the game, rattled by Rakitic, and then um, you know an injury which is going to keep him out for two or three months. Um, so, what what now? You you know you mentioned in terms of um, you know he would have disrupted 
um, you should get to quite a bit. Um, I suppose just stepping away from the 90 minutes in in, um, in Barcelona for a second, you know, is is this now a case of step forward Oxley Chamberlain for the rest of the season? Is it is it another horses for courses approach? Keep in mind that you know Liverpool have got to ultimately win their next three games if they want to have an opportunity of winning anything. Yeah, I think it would be a horses for courses approach for me. I've said before on this show what what the Ox, what Ox brings, um, and it's significantly what what he does bring is significantly more useful against top opponents. Just because of how good he is at carrying the ball, you know the batting carrier kind of thing. Uh, when we are transitioning from A to B, he's that player who links the midfield and the attack. Because of, as you said, he's, you know he's he's essentially a winger that's been converted to a central. Mm. Mid- so he's got winger traits, but as a central midfielder, mm. and then he's also got that power and the frame to cause physical problems for the opponent. So he's very useful in that in 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 that regard, but. When you're playing against the likes of Newcastle, when you're obviously trying to break them down through creativity and things, those traits then become less useful. So I did say a couple of couple of weeks ago that, you know, when we were talking about Ox, I said that he'd be more useful in the running in terms of the Champions League just mm-hmm. because of the, what's what's required and how he sets up in those matches. So, you know, he'd step up for me in the second leg at Anfield, although there's a very small chance that will go through but against Newcastle and Wolves if, if he can play great and if he's fit enough to play then then you know that's that, that's fine but I wouldn't risk him because the impact he'd have in those games would be would be less um, you're just thinking about Simon Busquets aren't you as well and and, and you know I thought I thought Cater looked to be doing that quite well in Barcelona until his injury and you'd, you'd feel like I always remember it, it, the way Oxley chamberlain basically I haven't seen Fernandinho look so ragged in a, in a long long time than he did in that 4-3 at Anfield um, he did play that game didn't he it's one of those I can't quite remember but I know Oxley chamberlain kept on running off the back of City's midfield and obviously he scores the opener and, and, is, and is pretty much playing really well hopefully he can do the same against Barcelona Um Again, you know, I feel you're right in terms of Liverpool did a lot right, and I feel pretty bad that I'm sort of looking at what what possibly went wrong. But you know, what what did you think of Joe Gomez starting his first game in what was it since December um, over Trent Alexander Arnold? Can you can you see the logic behind that one, and and do you feel like it backfired? No, I did have I did have a problem with that, and I still don't either. I think it's it's very easy to look back with hindsight mm. and criticise such a decision, but. I think it's I think it's it's reasonable to say that Trent can't really defend. Yeah, I don't think he's a very good defender at all. I think he gets done a fair amount. I think because of the players around him and because of how good, how well drilled our system is, he's he's covered a lot and it doesn't hurt us a great deal. But defensively, without doubt, he, he would be our weakness in the in the team and when as I said, when you're going away to the new camp, he's He's up against Phil Coutinho as well, but which is going to be tricky. And then Jordi Alba doing overlaps and things. It, it I, I, I had no problem with it. It wasn't a game for Trent for me. I'd, a lot of people have problems with Gomez playing on the right. Uh, I don't have the biggest problem with it. I think he's better as a centre back, of course. But we, we we spoke a couple of weeks ago how useful these players are. These new hybrid kind of defenders that can play centre-back and a full-back position. Gomez is one of those and 
although he he's very well suited to playing as a centre back, he's very mobile, very aggressive, good going forward, good on the ball. So if you need that bit more defensive assurance in such a high profile game, and if you're not planning on attacking through the fullbacks, which we we did so less, then there's no issue there. And I don't think it's a case of if Trent played, we'd have scored two or or, or whatever. Um, you know, you know that that's one of them. That's one of them points that I'm not entirely in favour of. That the majority will probably come out with, you know, regarding Trent should have started and, and things like that. I I didn't have an issue with with Gomez starting. I could understand the logic behind that one. So, you know, you say Liverpool did a lot right. So, I mean, let's just talk about that for a second. And before we move on to, to Messi and, and his moments of magic, um, you know, what, what impressed you about what you saw from Liverpool? Was it was it the control? Was it was it the the maturity? Um, was it the way Klopp set them up? I think it was it was a lot of things. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I spoke. I wrote my preview out the other week, mm. and we obviously previewed the match in on the last episode, and. One of the things I've been stressing is that I think Liverpool have the strategic edge over Barca in terms of all the tactical aspects considered. If you put those tactical aspects on a chessboard, for example, I think Liverpool have the edge in that regard. The only problem was, in my own opinion, was um, with us being a pressing team, you, you get a certain level of player that you just can't press and you get a certain level of player who you can't, you can't influence their decisions and you can't put them under pressure and make them they're unflappable, really. And I said I used the PSG game as an example, away from home. And Neymar and Verratti in particular stood out to me as players that we tried to put under pressure and we tried to force them to make mistakes, but they just didn't. And you just sliced through us. And my fear going into this Barca game, especially away, much bigger pitch, was it doesn't matter how aggressive we are and how good we are off the ball, if the likes of Messi and Coutinho and Arthur, who didn't play, and Busquets, if he's on his game, if they're on it, they're players that can just play through a press and slice your right open out of nowhere, whereas most other opponents would collapse. Uh, and that's what we saw. And I think we, I think tactically we got everything right. I think we were as good as we... It's sad, it's sad to say, but I think in most aspects, we, we were as good as we could have possibly been, mm-hmm. apart from in front of goal. And those players, those technically gifted, top-level players, Messi sliced through you. Messi causes major problems in that regard. He just, as I said, un- unflappable. You cannot... How tall is he? Six, uh, five foot... Six maybe. Yeah, he's, and, he's and not. He's just riding challenges and mm. things, and um, just carrying the ball through our midfield, dribbling past all kinds of players, and you you just can't account for that. That's that's the kind of thing that tactics and endeavour goes out the window when you have a player with such technical ability, and that was my fear, and you know it, it came up. And how, um, you know, the first goal that he scores um, is is a lucky one, but it you know it's a little bit like the the the, the Mane Goodison goal in the sense that it's just because he's alert, he's alive, he, he he sort of he's following the ball from the moment he hits Suarez's knee um, off the bar and, and in. Um, 
the second one. So yeah, we we, we spoke on the uh, previous pod about how Liverpool don't regularly concede uh, shots from outside the area. The only time they actually have managed it this season is in the cup competitions. There was one against Red Star Belgrade and one against um, Wolves, but that was just Sammy Mignolet in goal. Um, so you know it's a little bit different with Allison. Um, I was I was you know I was there in the ground and it was so far out. You didn't. I can't. So many times you just sort of see those those balls either hit the wall or balloon over, or you know just basically easily gathered by the goalkeeper. I don't think I've ever seen a a, a free kick like that in uh, in my life. Um, is that just one of those just where it's just it's an amazing moment in terms of football. You know, if you're a neutral football fan, it's amazing. It's a sickener for Liverpool because ultimately, you know, Liverpool have done all of these things right and they're just undone by a moment of absolute magic. Yeah, it was an incredible goal. Really incredible goal. And that was that was the, the goal on the night where I did. I, I actually put my hands up at the time and just shook my head and, and I said, you know, well, fair enough. You can't really argue with that. And if that's the if that's the goal that decides the game, fine. You know, mm. you, you, you're leaving the stadium there, not really fussed to an extent. It's the other two that I had to take, especially the second one, uh, and the fact that we didn't have that, the fact that we didn't take our own chances. That that was what it was. But not even just a free kick, just the way that Messi influenced the match. I, I just thought it was incredible. He was absolutely different level. I remember Thierry, Thierry Henry speaking about his time at Barca and he said he was in the training session once and just, I think it was maybe 6v6 or something on a small pitch. Messi thought he was fouled, um, weren't given. So Messi got a little bit angry, Henry said, and he picked up the ball, dribbled past all six of them and scored. And that was a reference to, you know, what he's capable of when he's maybe in the mood, a bit angry kind the of Incredible thing. Hulk. You yeah. don't like him when he's angry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, I've seen I've seen quotes this season of him in, at the very start of the season, stays away saying to the whole team as captain, this season we win the Champions League. Uh, and you, you could just see that on the pitch. You could just, f- from the off, he was up for it. From the off, he was going to influence things. Uh, and when he's in that mood, especially considering the little Milner incident too, when he's in that mood, he's un- he's unplayable. And as I said, no matter how you, how good you are off the ball, when you've got a player like that who can just slice through you and and he needs three or four men around him to to be stopped, it's just ridiculous. Um, he's only been fouled more times in the game, twice this season. Mm. That was against Getafe. And in a derby against Espanyol, uh, and it, you know the, the the way we dealt with them seemed to be quite effective. I was going to say everyone's saying Liverpool need to learn the dark arts, and this stems from you know Suarez being Luis Suarez, and you know Messi sort of you know there's a lot of contention. It wasn't a foul for me, let alone a yellow card for Fabinho when he ultimately punches Fabinho in the face, but. You know, as you say, the dark arts, I thought they were stopping as many tactical fouls as they could on Messi yeah. without accumulating too many yellow cards. Yeah, there, was, there didn't seem to be any specific plan in regard to stopping him, as we expected. We did think it would be a team unit thing. And that worked against us in some moments, but then he 
he attempted 36 passes. Um, that's that's the second lowest he's he's accumulated all season. Uh, and just to provide a bit of perspective on that, 36 passes against Liverpool in 90 minutes. He, he attempted 27 in 34 minutes recently against Deportivo Alves. The only team, to, as I said, to have, to have restricted him, um, to have, you know, restricted him from being involved in proceedings less is incessantly Ibar. Mm. Uh, but there, if you know anyone that follows foreign football, will know that Ibar and a super intense pressing team, absolutely crazy to an extent where it's a bit mad. But you know they restricted him to twenty six passes, and I think that was a ninety minute game. Uh, but yeah, just you know the most creative player I've ever seen, and I'm not the I'm not the oldest person, but I find it hard to believe there was ever a, a better player than than him. Um, the, just the fact that like he he doesn't even have a role on the pitch, he just does what he wants. The difference of where he is, where he's going to cause damage, completely f- full freedom of the field. Um, and incessantly, that's that's one of the reasons Coutinho hasn't done too well over there, is because Coutinho needs a role like that. He got that at Liverpool, he got that at the World Cup on the Cheech, and, you know, Coutinho needs that freedom role, but from Valverde's perspective, if you're going to give two players the freedom role, you know, you lose the concept of the system mm. there, you've only got to afford that to one player, and that player is Messi. Uh, 20 passes for Coutinho as well, if he was on the pitch. Naby Keita completed 17, for example, in 23 minutes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just an absolute masterclass I thought from Messi, even though we've stripped him. Do, do Liverpool have a chance, second leg? Um, I've, I've gone through. They've obviously got a chance of winning the title, the, the game on the night, but have they got a chance at all? I think we'll win on the night. Uh, I'd be surprised if we don't win on the, on the night. And I think we'll be well up for it a bit. I think we'll be all over them. I don't think they'll enjoy it at all. And I think it'll be closer than people expect. The only issue is that away goal we had to get. We had to score that away goal. That's our chance. Maybe it's the post. It's hard to take. Um, there's definitely a chance, especially considering how how well we performed away. You know, you've got to you've got to consider what that will then be like at Anfield with the home support. Um, I think the first, tighter pitch, yeah, much tighter pitch, yeah. Uh, I think the first goal is going to be evident, but there's definitely a chance. But it's it is a long shot. Anyone knows where they have to be: one up by a certain time, two up by a certain time, three up by a certain time. I mean. You're going for extra time, I suppose, aren't you? Because, you know, that said, though, you know, they lost 3 0 to Roma last season. They lost 4 0 to PSG the season before. Um, albeit they turned that round on a 6 1. So it's not it's it's not impossible. I think Messi is the key. If you, if you can stop Messi, you you stop Barca to an extent. We, we restricted the man to 36 passes mm. attempted. But he, even despite that, he attempted 15 dribbles. His, his, average is, his, his average is 11. So that's above average for his dribbling. He attempted seven through balls. That's above his average. He attempted six progressive runs, which is when you carry the ball vertically with the ball at your feet. That's, mm-hmm. du- that's almost double his average. So, you know, he's a player that was 
virtually uninvolved based on his usual standards. But whenever he was involved, he was just ruthless, mm. and he was such. You know, you know, Salah gives the ball away a ton, and he can come across across as a bit reckless, but Messi does the same. Albeit he's slightly more accurate, but those players that take constant, constant risks and ultimately create and make the difference as a result, they're the most crucial players out there and Messi's the ultimate version of that. Um, so if we can keep him quiet, you stop Barcelona, I think. It's just... How how can you do that? How can you keep such such a good player quiet without man marking him, which I wouldn't necessarily be for anyway. And Klopp doesn't do that. He's yeah. just yeah. Um it's just it's just a tricky one. But I've, I've I've got a bit of hope, I'll say that like The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. What will also be a tricky one, Josh, is Saturday night, 7.45, Newcastle United away. Um, it's one of the intangibles we don't really like on this show. You know, We don't like to do things that we can't really measure, but we will talk about it. Um, it's that idea of, and I hate this phrase, so you know, forgive me, but bounce-back ability. You know, The idea that Liverpool have had seven days here, which have, has killed a lot of hope and enthusiasm, I think it's safe to say, both, you know, which seems mad considering that the 1-5-0 um, against Huddersfield but you know the Barcelona results added to the fact that you know Sissy just keep on grinding out results where they have to um, it, it, it's, it, it's it feels bleak at the moment and that, that's so wrong considering how good this team is um, so with all that accounted for is there a worse opponent to play than Rafael Benitez? I think it, it after the Barca performance probably not because the problem we had in Barca was we we couldn't score. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's the question Benitez is going to ask without doubt. He's going to set up bank of five, bank of four, and break us down. Do you know what I mean? And the fact that we played 90 minutes against Barca very, very well as well. And we created clear-cut chances, both three of them, I think. And we still didn't score, so that maybe now is in our minds hopefully hopefully it's not hopefully it's something we can move past very quickly but that's going to be the question posed posed to us in Newcastle and uh, I think Preston for example is going to be out, out out the question just because of how how much of a pragmatic coach Benitez is I think he's just people are well aware that that's one of our strengths so hit it long get, get, it, get it away and you've got a thing in Ron's on there haven't you they've got a lightning rod yeah and you know, without without that pressing creativity and open play then comes into it and you've got to be so obviously Trent comes back in. I've even considered the prospect of Shakiri maybe being introduced just because of the risks he takes on the ball and how direct he is. But it's it is gonna be a tricky one. Just a little bit about Newcastle, um because I I think it's safe to say, you know, everyone it is Rafa and we all know Rafa, we know what Rafa does, but it's interesting to see how his you know, how he's evolved at Newcastle. Um there's become a counter attack side at home, um, in particular. And you know, they've only actually done twelve fast breaks. This is as defined by Opta. Uh, see them as counter attacks, fast breaks. Um only done twelve, but nine of those have come from home. 
um, which puts them ninth in the in the Premier League in that in that uh, respect. They don't create many big chances, but the one of the most prolific teams in the league when they do, um, which has got sort of the, the that pragmatic Benitez stamp all over it. Um, you know, you when he fashions a chance, it'll be a good chance, and he'll put it away. Um, and I found this one really interesting as well. One for one for us to talk about, maybe. Made the same number of errors leading to a shot at St James's Park as Liverpool have at Anfield, so that the, they are as, as as least prone to making mistakes at, at home as Liverpool are. Um, so even though he's evolved, it still is very much a, a Rafa team. And you know, yes, the players aren't the same as the players that he had when he was at Anfield, Jordan, at any point of his reign. But this this isn't going to be easy, is it? No, it's not. And I think the. The errors leading to goals that you've just mentioned there, I think that stems from the pragmatism that I've just mentioned. We've obviously got a lot more pragmatism this season, a lot more streetwise. Um, that's what Newcastle are. They're a, a very streetwise team. Um, they're also overperforming in defence, more so than any other team. I'm not sure if I mentioned this last week. I know that was about Cardiff, wasn't it? Mm. Un- underperforming, sorry. Newcastle are the biggest overperformers. Yeah, in terms of Newcastle, they should have conceded about ten and a half goals yes. more than they actually have. That's, as I said, the most in the league. Um, and I doubt it comes from, say, for example, the De Gea aspect, who's saving ridiculous shots like he did last season. I think it more stems from just Newcastle having so many bodies around the ball and, you know, shots being blocked and things like that, I'd expect. But, you know, that's worth delving into, but... In terms of creativity aspect, what you've just mentioned there as well, you know, according to XG, they're less creative than Cardiff, less creative than Fulham, than Burnley. But, you know, on the face of things, that's how it looks. But then if you if you would delve into that, it probably stems from how they adapt in terms of game state. So once they take a lead, they probably then stop attacking, which then looks like they're not creating, looks like they're not creating XG. But it's just a case of managing the result. So, you know, that that stems into the first goal being obviously very important. If Newcastle somehow get the first goal, then we're knocking our heads onto a brick wall to an extent for the for the following cause of the match. So it's gonna be a tricky one and it's gonna it's gonna have to involve for me tons of relentless attacking, but somehow also very a controlling manner in regard to counter attacks, which is difficult to get the balance there. Controlling chaos. Yeah. I mean, you know, hopefully we see the the, the, the team that hasn't, you know, because as, as Josh says, they've been overperforming um, in terms of XG points. Um, they're, they've overperformed more than any other side um, in the last 22 games. And the reason that they use the last 22 games is. Uh, is that Newcastle United were joint bottom of the Premier League after 10 games this season uh, with three points, three draws, seven defeats, zero wins. Um, but since then, in the preceding um, 22 games, um, the form puts them in eighth in the Premier League. But as I say, the XG says they've overperformed more than any other side, around by about 11 points. Um so I do think it's worth pointing out in the first 10 games we were probably underperforming um, in terms of they, they probably had a few bad results where they deserved to get the victory. So maybe it's just evening itself out. Does does game situation play a part here? And this is where we'll sort of moan about Sky Sports and television companies and, and whatnot. Liverpool know deep down just that they've got to win this. 
they, they, they have to win. If they draw, then City can basically win the league. Um, for all intents and purposes, with a win against Leicester on Monday night. If they, if they lose, then they definitely can win the league on Monday night. Um, so facing the sides who like to do these counter attacks and these fast breaks will be crucial. Um, and of course, we all know what happened in a similar scenario five years ago when Liverpool had to attack. I know it was a much different game situation in terms of they were 3-0 up and they were trying to score about 10 to, um, to, to, to narrow that goal difference against Crystal Palace. But we all know what happened in that game as well. So, you know, does the does the situation play a part now in terms of Liverpool are going first? I think, yeah, I've always been a believer that you should definitely prefer to go first when you're going for a title. Just so that, that you know, that element of doubt um, is eradicated to an extent. Uh, and in, in terms of the match, I think it's just going to have to be a case of keeping your heads I think we know what we're up against. We know it's going to be a side that are going to ask you, can you break us down? So if after half an hour, maybe even an hour, we haven't done that, we've got to just keep probing and keep doing our things and remain focused. Even even if we get a lead, you've got to just keep focused, keep your head and keep doing what you would usually do, almost as though there's no pressure there. I watched the um, City loss there. That was City's last loss at um, St. James, St. James's. Is it called St. James's yeah, still? Yeah, it's still, yeah. Not the uh, Mike Ashley Superdome. It's, <laughs> it's St. James's Park, thankfully. Yeah. Um, but I, I watched that match. I remember sitting there and I had it on my iPad. And City scored after one minute. So I didn't turn it off, but I moved away from the iPad, let's say. And gradually, 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 as the match progressed, I was moving closer and closer and closer to the iPad. Uh, and they ended up somehow winning 2-1, but that was because after about maybe an hour, it was such a non-contest from City's perspective that they essentially got bored. Yeah, rope it dope almost, but, but, yeah. but Newcastle weren't, you know, roping the dope essentially. They were just... Yeah, no, it, was, was, just, it yeah. was a case of um, both teams were almost playing as though if the referee offered to blow the whistle, they would have both taken it. But City, you know, as a result, took the foot off the gas... And Newcastle straight away was straight on it and punished them twice. I think I wouldn't be surprised if they had two shots in that game, and he and he scored both of them. Um, one might have been a penalty thing. It was, yeah, Louis yeah. Longstaff. Sorry, yeah. Sean Longstaff. Louis Longstaff plays Liverpool's youngsters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but th- as I said, yeah, the, the mentality aspect comes into this one. I think a lot more, even if a lead is sustained or whether a lead isn't sustained. It's just about remaining focused for the whole 90 minutes because if you don't, and we saw that against City, Newcastle will punish you very quickly. Where does the risk and the reward weigh up here as well in terms of... Um, so, okay, let's, let's, let's have a look at this scenario. So, Liverpool are a point behind Man- Manchester City as things stand. Um, a draw probably wouldn't be enough because basically, let's let's assume that City do beat Leicester. Um, or at the very least, even if they were to lose, then it's probably unlikely the goal difference is in Liverpool's favour still. So let's just say that they need to they need to win. You know, last minute corner to Liverpool. Do you send Alisson Becker up? I think I do. Yeah, do yeah. I tell, yeah. And, and, and I tell you, why I asked that as well. He, I don't know if this came across on television. Klopp was urging him to go forwards in stoppage time on Wednesday for the corner. What was he? Yeah, yeah. but then Bailey nearly converted in the, in the last kick of the game. 
Alisson was on the halfway line uh, and I think it was Klopp I, I, we were the other side and it's very very high up so you can't tell for sure but somebody was urging Alisson to go forward and I think Andy Robertson basically said what the hell are you doing get back Yeah. I mean that would have been some sight to see a goalkeeper up at a corner when you're 3-0 down especially in the first leg in the first leg yeah. that's why I, I just find it interesting in Liverpool are at 0-0 1-1 whatever in the last last moments so there's a corner You know, do you see Alisson Becker going up no, I I think if City drop any point at all, it will be a draw. That, that I can't see them for the life of me getting beaten. Mm. So, you know, even if I just think we have to we have to win both. We have to win both. There's not and even if even doing so, it's still highly unlikely we won't get in from it. Mm. But I think if if there's no way we can we can get any kind of draw and hope that. We're still somehow gonna gonna win the league, and that's why the the whole tactical aspect of it is tricky, because you know Rafa thrives and his teams thrive by instilling organisation really. Um, so to to break through that, you've got to almost create disorganisation, but then you obviously got a counter. You've obviously got to control their counter attacks, so. To create your own disorganisation in possession, but then to be so controlling in regard to their counter attacks is tricky, and that stems from that risk and reward that you've just mentioned. You have to find a balance there whereby you can control them, but when you've got the ball, it, it's got to be a bit mad to break them down. Like I, I looked at the clips before when we beat them at Anfield, we beat them four nil, but the first goal was a, a Dejan Lovren volley from inside the box which was that collector's item yeah that won't happen often and the second one was a penalty Sally that was when he went down that was when he was getting a bit of grief because mm. it was you know it was it was a pen but it was you know it was a, a slight one let's say uh, so that it seemed like you've got to be a, a bit chaotic I think to break down that's why they seem to do relatively well against City because although City are outstanding in the attacking sense they're very predictable and they're all about patterns. Not predictable, obviously, but they're all about patterns and strict movements and things like that. That's why they go a bit... That's why they struggle when things don't go according to plan. Um, so we've got to create that chaos, that organised chaos, if you like. But, you know, there's got to be a elements of risk reward there. If Liverpool do win, uh, the pressure is back on Man City and it is a start. It feels like we've been a little bit down um, today, but no, no, we'll, we'll, we'll try and give you a nice start to make you smile here. Leicester are um, joint seconds with Liverpool on 29 in terms of fast breaks. Uh, eight goals scored, which is on those fast breaks, which is second in the league. And no player has received more big chances than Jamie Vardy. So let us pray that Leicester and Brendan Rodgers can get something. Again, Josh, it's probably hard to say whether they can until you know what the result of the Liverpool game is. But this is, I mean, this is Liverpool's best chance, isn't it? The Brighton last day... This is it. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think if they don't drop points here, I think it's gone. Mm. Brighton, I've played them once this season already and didn't have a shot on target. And they're not, they, you know, they, don't, they can't sack basically. They're, they're one of the worst sackers in the league. I think their XG is the 19th, uh, 19th in the league be ahead of only, only Huddersfield, which is shocking. And, you know, with, with City knowing that that's going to win the league, 
they're not going to slip up in that final game. So Brighton aren't the type of teams to cause that chaos that you've mentioned as well, are they? No, really? they're, they're the type of teams to absolutely let City have control of absolutely everything yeah. and hope that they can keep them out for 90 full mm. minutes, which is just ridiculous. Um, I think in from a Leicester perspective, they have the makeup that you need to cause City problems. That being a tactically good manager, midfielders that can pass and fast attackers. Um, those fast, one of those fast attackers obviously is Jamie Vardy, who is the ideal striker to play against City. But it's just going to be difficult. I th- I'd have a lot more confidence if it was away. But the fact it's at the Etihad, I just can't. I just can't see it. I don't know why. I just can't. Um, City just have ultimate control at the Etihad. It remains to be seen what what Rodgers will do. But you know, his early days at Leicester in tactically look very similar to what Pep's doing. You know, I wrote about that today in terms of the way he lets Madison and Tillemans drift forwards, like De Bruyne and Silva did last season, for example. Um. So I said to you a couple of days ago, they're almost like a, a city light mm-hmm. at the minute. So it'll be interesting to see the little matchups there, but hopefully Rogers has got something up his sleeve. And even not, Mike Dean's the referee. Um, yeah, so there's yeah. <laughs> there's always a chance he does something to absolutely upset the apple cart one way or the other. Let's hope it's on Liverpool's terms. Thanks very much for joining us today, Josh. We will be back next week when we will... I suppose I reckon we'll probably know where this season's heading finally. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm at the stage now where I can't wait for the campaign to just finish. I need a break. I think we all do. But let's just hope that it, you know we're, 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 we're breaking off for the summer with at least you know one shiny pot in our back pocket. Thanks very much for joining us this week. We will be back next week where we discuss Newcastle, Barcelona, and of course, Wolverhampton Wanderers. We'll see you next week. Take care for now. Bye. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.